Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. Yet despite the many upsides of age, a long life means that our generation has borne witness to a number of horrendous events. However, one of the most horrendous is also one that many of us know painfully little about. Starting in 1992, the former Yugoslavia was torn apart by a combination of savage fighting and ethnic cleansing. The state of Bosnia-Herzegovina was hit especially hard, yet many in the general American public know little of the impact of the fighting. But our guest today... Amra Shabich El-Rais is changing all of that by sharing a personal account of her experiences as a 16-year-old Muslim girl. All too painfully, Amra learned that the horrors of war took place in her own hometown, which turned into a place of terror. Her book is called The Cat I Never Named, and I am honored and thrilled to have her join us today. So welcome, Amra. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I want to say right at the top of the show, your book is such an important work, and you have an incredibly profound message, and I know you've dedicated your life to many of the the situations and the experiences you learned throughout that time. But as I also mentioned, Americans know little, relatively little about the Bosnian War. Of course, we've heard a lot about World War II and the Vietnam War. So your book, I know, is going to serve to enlighten many of us. So thank you so much for bringing it to us, and I'm going to ask a great big question at the start because your life and your experiences are multifaceted, but can you give us a little bit of the story of the cat I never named? Of course. Um, So I'm going to start by saying that I was um, in a way born hated. As a Bosnian Muslim, I was um, discriminated against as a child uh, growing up. Um, as an example, I never read a story with the Muslim girl's name in it. I was a math and physics nerd and never solved the problem with the Muslim a child's name in it. Um, so I was deeply aware of that uh, sort of position in, in the larger society that I grew up with, um, but I never expected to be surviving through genocide. By the time I was 16, which is when my story in the cat I never named uh, begins, um, I found myself overnight um, surviving, starving, uh, escaping rape camps, concentration camps, um, under the siege, constantly bombed by the Serb army. I had no electricity, no access to food, um, and um, that was obviously extremely traumatizing, but also was an important experience in my life that reminded me that humans are capable of horrific things if they decide that hatred is going to define who they are and what our future um, uh, would be like. And in the context of former Yugoslavia, Serbia as one of the republics really wanted to create racially, ethnically pure country. And as a result, I was in the way of that. Um, And that is really sort of the intensity of the experience that I tried to capture in the cat I never named. But I also want to mention that uh, there is 
unexpected amount of love um, and care in this story as well, um, different kinds of love, love that I experienced um, uh, with my family the first time I fall in love uh, because I decided as a teen that if I were going to die, uh, which I thought was a sure thing at that time, that at least I would kiss a boy. And um, I, um, I chronicle some of those uh, beautiful moments in the book as well. And then there is um, unparalleled um, kind of love that I experienced from a stray kitty, um, a cat that came into my city, town of Bihach, um, just as the war was about to begin and my city was about to be besieged by the Serb army, army uh, in 1992. And Mati, or kitty or cat in Bosnian, um, simply adopted my family. Um, she did not want to uh, leave our family, even though, to be honest, and I'm honest about that in the book, we really did not want her. We didn't want her because we felt as a family, uh, particularly my mom, uh, as a character in the story, that we couldn't really take care of another living being as we are about to enter a war um, and, and genocide. And we didn't know what would happen to us. We just knew that terrible things were coming. Um, but Matsi was incredible. She helped me physically survive, emotionally survive. And if it were not for her, I wouldn't be here today. There would be no story to tell. There would be no The Cat I Never Named. Wow, and and I I will let our listeners know that this book is one that is going to capture your heart and your soul because uh, again you you personally did experience some awfully awfully horrible events, but that love aspect really does shine through. And I will confess, through the last several chapters, I was sobbing with parts of joy, parts of everything, but it was such a touching touching book. So it's amazing how we can get that love from humans and that love from animals as well. Thank you. Thank you. And it, it was for us, it was truly unexpected love. And um, just to share one detail um, with your audience, um, when, when the war started, uh, we initially we were situated in a basement of a neighbor's house because my parents didn't have a basement in our home. And um, as we were there with a the number of families expecting to see what will happen to us, will the Serb army come in and execute us all, separate us for concentration and rape camps, or will we manage to sort of survive in this, um, at that point, besieged city? And on June 12, 1992, the first bombs started to hit my city, and obviously there was a lot of uh, fear and, and, and death in the, on that day. Um, my brother and I, being um, kids and me being a teenager at the time, we decided to, without our parents knowing, to escape and go back to our house, which was only a few blocks away, to see Matsi. Um, because she stayed in our home. And in that moment, we ran into four of our friends, and, um, of course, we were happy to see them, and I think that's the feeling that many can relate to now um, with this pandemic and isolation, how much we crave um, to be with other human beings. So we were we were extremely excited, and um, but Matsi... Uh, was nowhere to be found, and my brother and I go off to look for her, and as a result, we survive. But four of our friends are blown up um, into pieces. And that was the moment when 
my dreams and my life um, in many ways was blown up, and I grew up in that instant realizing what was about to happen um, to me. So I would have been dead, and my story would have ended on the very first day of bombing in my city if it were not for the love of Mati, who maybe instinctively knew that she wanted to pull us to a different location, um, and she really saved our lives. Well, and you talk about she instinctively knew things. I think you credit her with kind of an all-knowing spirit to her. I mean, she that was not the only time that she took you away from danger or that she comforted you, and she seemed to have, I know, and again, I don't want to start crying in the middle of the interview, but your life hasn't been easy. You lost your older brother, and you almost kind of thought maybe there was a connection between Matsi and your older brother. Uh that that's correct and i have to for for um for your listeners and your audience i do have to share that i started my career at columbia university's teachers college teaching statistics courses and probability theory uh i'm a professor in education so i am someone who appreciates data and evidence and facts but there were certainly moments in the war where um i um did feel um that if it were not for Mati, um, I wouldn't be here. And I don't think that I thought about it actively or consciously uh, back then, but once I started to put down my story on paper, um, the way things um, uh, sort of uh, seemed uh, looking back, um, it was that she was just incredible, that she uh, was always there at the right time, at the right moment when it made a difference um, in my life. And my older brother, um, yes, he passed away when he was 15, um, actually on mm-hmm. October 15th in 1985, from a heart attack. He had Marfan syndrome. He was brilliant. He was incredible. He had photographic memory. Um, and I, before the war, wanted to be that perfect kid for my parents. I um, always did the right thing. I was a perfect perfect student because I didn't want to inflict any more pain or loss for them. So um, that also shaped my life and shaped my experience during the war and trying with my own brother, to younger brother, uh, who is still with us, thankfully, uh, to make sure that we survive and we protect our parents from more pain um, um, that they experienced with the loss of my older brother. Wow, Amra, we'll talk about incredible, brilliant, etc. You have gone on to have an amazing career. Uh, and as I said, too, in many of you, I know you believe in statistics and, and <laughs> science and all those kinds of things, but you also believe in sharing your personal story. And I'm just wondering, and, and making a difference in the world is what I wanted to say. And, and I'm just wondering, with all this going on, what led you to put this book uh, your pen to paper at this time and share this amazing story. Um, thank you for asking that question, and that really um, uh, connects my life story um, and the cat I never named um, as a book to what is happening today in the United States. And um, it was a couple of years ago that my younger daughter, who is now in third grade, uh, who was then in third grade, now she's older, um, came home from school and. Uh, simply asked me, uh, Mom, what will happen to me and Jana, her older sister, if you and Dad are taken away as Muslims or immigrants? Will we be left alone? Oh. And oh, this, is a, 
this is a question that came from a little girl who loves seahorses and science and loves writing, who is gifted in math and skipped a grade of uh, uh, math as a proud parent. I, I always like to share that um, in her school. And uh, she was born and raised uh, in New York City. Um, and I never expected to see the same kind of fear in her eyes that I had when I didn't know what was ha- going to happen to me as a Muslim kid in 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 former Yugoslavia and Bosnia then. Um, so I wanted to remind Americans uh, through my own story that hatred is incredibly powerful. It can lead people to other others and dehumanize them to the level that we no longer see them as human beings. And that is what I had experienced and that is what I worried about um, happening in this country. And I would just share with you one detail that I also thought about in that first conversation uh, that I had with Dina about what may happen to us in America now. And that is when I came to the United States for the first time in in January of 1996. Um, I was at that point 20, so I spent four years living under the siege, losing people I love simply for being uh, Bosnian Muslims, so I was a broken person. I uh, really felt I had nothing to offer to this country. And um, I was terrified that uh, when the immigration officer speaks to me, that he was going to send me back to the country that I came from. And I was shaking. I was trembling. And um, during the interview process, he uh, looked at my papers for a very long time. And at the end, he gave them back to me and he touched the fingertips of my hands as I was holding onto his counter, and he said, "Uh, Ma'am, welcome to the United States of America. I am sorry for what happened to you. You are safe now. And um, I could cry now when I tell that story. I've shared that story many times. I'm about ready to myself. (laughs) Oh, my Um, gosh, Amra. But that's... That's the America I met. That's the America that I fell in love with. And in a way, uh, by the time readers finish my story, they will understand that my book, yes, it is about genocide in Bosnia, but it is actually a love letter to, to humanity. It is a love letter to education. It is a love letter to resilience. And it is a love letter to America that I fell in love with in 1996. Well, and it's also a love letter to your beautiful family because you certainly grew that of of anything. I know you had a lot of challenges, and some of them I can't even imagine at your age. But to have grown up with those parents and your brother, and it just and the friends too. But you also, I wanted to mention, you have a co-author, Laura Sullivan, and I was wondering, in speaking with her and sharing your story with her. Was that cathartic to you, or was it hard to... I mean, these emotions had to have been really tough to relive, not that you've ever forgotten them, but what was her reaction to some of these things? Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. Um, I um, I actually spoke to Laura only twice, um, and that may be surprising to your audience. The first time that we um, connected... Um, was because I felt that as an academic, I've I've done a lot of academic writing, and I um, was worried about how 
traumatizing my own experience may be for young adults or adults that would be reading the story. And I wanted to make sure that I actually collaborate with someone who can give me guidance on how far I can go. I wanted to make sure that my uh, book addresses the issues, um, for instance, of sexual violence. As you know, there's a moment when a Serb soldier um, attempts to attack me. and so I, But I also wanted to make sure that it's done in a way where I don't go too far, um, in, um, yet that I am genuine and honest about those experiences. And um, so I spoke to Laura, and we just connected. It felt that we would be the best of friends if we grew up together. And then the rest of communication between us was really through uh, me writing stories and um, sending them to Laura. So there was a lot of tears going back and forth. Every time I would mm-hmm. write something and send it to her, tears would come back and um, also some, some some laughter. As you know, there's some sort of comic moments. Uh, they're tragic and comic at the same time that happened during the war, and I share those elements of our life at that time. And in fact, uh, um, I joked with Laura, we had a, a conference call with the entire team at Bloomsbury involved with this book a couple of months ago, and I thought, Laura, you and I never speak unless there's a conference call. We're really, <laughs> and we're communicating through these love letters and stories that have connected us in, in, in an unusually uh, intimate way. Well, well, and I'm sure that the folks at Bloomsbury were quite taken with your work, too, because this is, it may not be an easy read at time, but as you said, uh, you bring up some, actually, when you mentioned the comic aspects of the book, I was thinking of the boy that accidentally threw the snowball at the general <laughs> where it landed. Yes. There were some wonderful, wonderful parts of this book. Uh, again, the love of your family shines through throughout the entire thing. And I also, you, did. I know you may not feel like bragging about your own career here, but you came to the United States, like you said, in 1996. I remember that on the passport, your photo was one that you could find, the last one you could find that was of you several years younger. So that had to, you had, that was on your passport. You walk in, you knew nobody, uh, but you have been a gifted student. You got a BA, two master's degrees, and a PhD. So tell us about your career now, Amra. Um, thank you. Um, thank you very much. You, you um, are making me feel really humbled, and, and I, I just believe in education, um, and I believe in working hard. That is one way in which I thought growing up that maybe society would accept me if I was this exemplary student. And um, I'll just mention one detail <clears throat> that I think will explain where I come from professionally and personally, really as a parent, as a friend. Everyone knows this about me. Um, I, um, there was a moment in, in, during the war um, when my father thought that uh, the Serb army was going to enter our neighborhood and we were watching them burn um, villages at the hill right across our uh, neighborhood. And um, he turned to me and said something that no father would ever want to share um, uh, openly with a teen daughter. He said, Amra, I'm, we may get killed, and I may no longer be able to protect you, um, and you may be raped. Um, but if you survive this, there's one thing that no one can ever take away from you, and that's your education. 
And mm. that really stuck with me because in the war I realized, and we can see that even in this pandemic, there's a lot of loss that can happen in life. People lose homes, they lose cars, they lose their livelihood, they lose jobs, they lose loved ones. But if they survive and, and if they're living, there's one thing that always stays with them, and that's their education. And um, that was what I uh, committed to when I came to this country. Um, I barely spoke English. I started by being allowed in the class to actually record uh, using TD, TDK tapes that you may remember. Those are outdated Yes, now. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I would use them in the classrooms to record the lectures and go home and oh try to re- decode the language. And that's how I learned. That's how I learned um, English. I never formally studied it, never um, took classes. Um, uh, it was simply self-learning. And I believe in that kind of um, desire to improve yourself. And so in terms of my career, I I think my job as an educator is I always tell my students to make sure that you fly, not fail. Uh, my job as an educator mm. is to lift people up. And I do that in my classrooms. I teach a variety of classes um, on different topics. My focus is on corruption, on discrimination, on exclusion, on Islamophobia, on radicalization, but looking at all those issues through education. What is, what is it that we can do to improve educational systems um, abroad and, and uh, increasingly even here in the United States? Wow. So, again, I think, you know, you had a uh, well, uh, again, a, a really rough beginning to your life, but you have turned that around and and brought that to share your experiences and share your knowledge with a real heartfelt base. I I applaud you. I have a couple more questions, and I promise I will let you go, Amra. But I don't sure, want to. as many but, as many questions <laughs> as you like. Thank you. The first one I do want to ask you is, do you get back to your homeland very often? I've had the pleasure of being in the vicinity of where you grew up, and it's such a beautiful place. Um, I I do, obviously, because of the pandemic, I haven't gone back, but I um, um, do work in Bosnia, um, uh, sometimes on research projects, but I also, my younger brother um, is still um, in Bosnia, so that uh, remains my primary uh, connection to sort of um, my family that existed prior to the war, and I do uh, stay in my parents' old home, the home that we grew up in where everything remains unchanged um, and uh, reminds me of the happy life that we had before the war. And um, Bosnia is a beautiful country for uh, hopefully after this pandemic for your audience members who uh, may be interested in traveling um, it has incredibly beautiful nature. Um, uh, people are uh, very direct and very warm and open um, culturally. Um, obviously, there's a lot of pain um, in that country, and it seems um, unimaginable that we went through what we had gone through. Um, and um, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed your days. Um, I know you were in, in Croatia, uh, which is also a very uh, near and dear my heart as well because my hometown of Bihać is only a couple of miles from Croatian border. So growing up, we used to, as a family, travel in our little bright orange communist car that wouldn't <laughs> go it wouldn't go faster than maybe 30 miles an hour. But, so it would take us hours <laughs> 
to get to the beach, but uh, we would be at the beach and had many, many beautiful memories there as well. Um, so, yes, I still am proud uh, of, of Bosnia, where I came from, and um, I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have the experiences, good and bad, um, that I did growing up. Wow. Well, well, you have an incredible message, an important message, one of hope, uh, despite all of what you've gone through. And I know you also have a website, so please let our listeners know about your website. You t- on it, you've got some great videos. Uh, I watched them. You are, by the way, a beautiful young woman. <laughs> so Thank in you. addition to your intellect, you are a looker, Amra. <laughs> so let our listeners Thank know you. where they can go to find out more about you your work and of course get this amazing book thank you so much well i have to credit uh uh, whatever i have to really my family and my parents um so that includes uh, the the looks that i have so i appreciate that that's very kind of you Um, my website is um uh simply my uh last name sabic org. Um, S-A-B-I-C-E-L-R-A-Y-E-S-S.org, um, or your audience members can simply Google the cat I never named, then I'm sure they'll find their way to my uh, website. And I also, in this pandemic, learned that social media is something that I should be using uh, more often. So I started uh, using Facebook. They can find me at Amra Sebekel Reyes. I have a page there. Um, and they can find me on Instagram also at Amra Sebekel Reyes, or they can find me on Twitter at Amra Sebek PhD. Well, my gosh, Elma, this has been, I had. I was so looking forward to this interview. You could tell, I'm sure. And what a joy, what a pleasure. Uh, do you have anything, uh, final thoughts for our, for our audience? Because we've got a minute or two left before we have to close. Um, I, um, I, I will just say this, and that is that I hope that as they start reading the book, they really forget that uh, they're reading about the Muslim girl and that they begin to empathize and identify with my emotions. I do have to say that um, I had received a six-start review for the book yesterday from Publishers <sighs> Weekly, and that has been humbling. But I am most excited uh, when I hear from those uh, Americans who have read it and who sometimes um, parents will email me and say, oh, I picked this book up in um, uh, in a bookstore or a friend recommended it. I knew nothing about Bosnia, and I thought I would read a few pages um, just to check it out um, before dinner or after dinner. And it's 3 a.m., and I finished the book, and I felt compelled to reach out to you. And so if anyone does go ahead and reads the book or has questions and wants to reach out to me, I do try to respond to as many people as possible, and I would love to hear what you think. Well, Amra, on those beautiful words, uh, I I have to thank you again. Your story is incredible. It's important. And as I mentioned, too, it's not only one of great hardship, but also one of great triumph and the story of love. So thank you for spending time with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And please, all of you listeners out there, check out Amla's website and, of course, this amazing book, The Cat I Never Named. Uh, The book is going to move you and inspire you, and you can't help but remember the 
power of generosity and human kindness to overcome even the most horrific of circumstances. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.